I am so excited for today's episode of Depth and Candor. Welcome, friends, to the podcast exploring the many ways to live out a fun and productive life through candid conversations. I'm your host, Hiwa Tegitana, and as many of you already know, I'm obsessed with living a fun and productive life. That's kind of the point of this whole podcast. So as a result of that, or maybe it's just a result of my personality, I have tons of ideas and lots of drive, but I've noticed over the years that this drive, this ambition, this motivation tends to kind of die down along with the idea that got it like fired up in the first place after a few valiant attempts at making my idea a reality. And I think It's safe to say that I'm not alone in this. Um, I think many of us have ideas that we want to execute, but there are so many people who surprisingly actually execute on these ideas and they bring them to reality and um, then they decide whether they want to abandon them or they want to keep going. And I think that's so admirable. I really appreciate people who are able to bring ideas into fruition. And I've noticed that these people are usually laser focused on making their ideas a reality, but at one time or another, usually they're focused on one thing, but at one time or another, they've dabbled in lots of different things, kind of like our guest on today's episode. Lul Mangesha is the founder and head of business development at datableservices.com, which helps companies translate their data into action steps in order to effectively meet their goals. Lul is also the author of several books, including The Only Black Student, uh, Lul and His Ladybugs, and Alia Taro, The Many Lives of Darren Datita. He has created countless inventions, one of which is hilarious and we'll talk about in detail at the beginning of this episode. And I wanted to interview Lul for over a year now because our mutual friends kept telling me, you have to interview this guy. He executes like nobody else. And eventually Lul and I developed our own friendship and I'm so amazed and so inspired by his humility, his drive, and yes, his consistent execution. So this episode is all about having an entrepreneurial spirit, so going for it, whatever it might be. And if you're an entrepreneur or you're a side hustler, You will definitely love this episode because you get an inside peek into the mind of someone who is truly an entrepreneur, not just claiming to be one, and someone who has side hustled for several years. So uh, Lul keeps it 100 with us, and he talks about the joys and the struggles of creating something that you own and that's really your own. And You'll also love this episode if you are the kind of person who wants to kill it at their job. So maybe you don't want to be an entrepreneur, but you want to be an intrapreneur. So you want to have that entrepreneurial spirit within your job. Lul used to work at Boeing, and so he had this mindset, this entrepreneurial mindset while he was working at Boeing which has helped him tremendously as an entrepreneur now. And he talks a little bit about that too. So we start the interview (laughs) with Lul telling us how he came up with one of his most successful inventions, the booty pillow. 
Yeah. So the booty pillow was, uh, it was kind of, you know, still working corporate at the time, uh, 2009 and, um, always like pitching ideas to my friends. Like since I was a kid, like I f- started my first business when I was like seven. So I'm always pitching stuff to people. And, um, the booty pillow, I was like resting with a girl I was dating and I was, I was like resting my head on the small of her back and I was like, wow, this is really comfortable. And then I thought about the fact that there are like no comfort pillows for men, especially one that's designed and shaped like in the form of, of, of a booty. Um, (laughs) And uh, so I went to Joanne's like the same day and I got like a foam block and I like in a, in a knife and I just cut it into the shape of like a booty pillow and then I remember uh, the problem is like my friends have heard so many ideas from me and they typically are like more optimistic. So you're not getting like really good feedback. So what I did is I just, I carved this booty pillow and then I put it in my living room in my house and then I would have friends come over and I didn't say anything about it. I just acted like it was like part of the house and I would wait for their feedback and every single person had like a really strong response. So it wasn't that necessarily that they liked it, but everybody had something, you know, some something that uh, to say about it, which is really powerful, right? Because it's so it's so hard for uh, a tangible product or you know to really resonate with people. Um, so I just at that point I was like, okay, I'm gonna, and I pitched it to uh, one of my friends who's uh, he was a a lawyer, and I was like, hey. I want to create this booty pillow. I can do all the manufacturing. I can do the marketing. Um, can you like really handle the legality side behind it? And he thought it was hilarious. And we both put like a, a couple thousand dollars in. And um, <clears throat> yeah, we got into, we, we were on the Today Show. We were in Maxim Magazine, uh, World's Smartest Inventions. We, we actually, on this, on the marketing side, we really followed the Snuggie which um, the Snuggie was a product that was brilliant because the, the Snuggie always took themselves serious despite knowing they were a joke, right? So like the booty pillow, same thing. Like we took the booty pillow serious and we let the world make fun of us. And, but the, the realization is in social media, as people make fun of you, they're only broadcasting wider. So we actually like, we sold like a you know, pretty good amount of pillows uh, at least way more than we like had initially thought. And, and then the interest, it was so crazy. It was so crazy to see something you created, something that's ridiculous, actually garner real attention and, um, and just how social media reacted to it. I think Gizmodo was the first person to do an article for us. And then it just blew up after that. And then our video it has like uh, roughly like over a million views now. So, you know, it's a million a million people that have looked at this video and had a reaction to it and shared it to someone. So that's like, you know, that's to me, it's, it's like, it's a success. Uh, and it's like an exciting, uh, it's a, and it was an exciting moment for me to realize that like to, when you create tangible products, they're like, wow, you know, I am an entrepreneur, you know, because you don't, uh, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a writer, if you're in these spaces where, the line is like skewed. You don't really know. Like if you write one poem or write one essay, does that make you a writer? You know, and you don't, and you have to really validate to yourself. So it was cool to see that the pillow was so well received and people were like talking about it all the time. And, um, 
yeah, I was, that's actually, I, I mean, I know it's a silly product, but it's, it's something that really brings a lot of laughter to me and to my friends and a lot of joy. I love this conversation about the booty pillow because you said you had this experience that prompted an idea, right? So you're laying right. on this, the small of this girl's back and you thought, oh my gosh, this would be an amazing pillow. Right. And most of us would think that we might even get to that next step of going to a craft store and buying the, buying the foam. What was it? The foam, uh, the foam, and then also creating a cover. Right. So you have to, we had to find a seamstress. Yeah. So I could see myself getting to that step where I'd be like, I wonder if I could create this for myself. Yeah. And then I would stop because I would be like, I have no idea how to turn this idea into an right. actual business. And that's a position where a lot of our listeners are in, where they have right. amazing ideas, but we're not quite sure. And I'm actually, I'm a little bit in that position myself where I know I want a podcast. I know I want to turn it into a business. But that second step of how am I going to actually make this a monetizable thing, um, right. That's where we get stuck. So can you tell us what are three concrete steps that everybody needs to take when they have an idea that they want to monetize? Yeah. Um, so this is more like a philosophy thing versus uh, necessarily it'll return gains for you. But I think you owe it to yourself to always commit to these ideals. Even if they are silly ideals, you will only become better in every other area um, of your life if you can commit to even the silliest of entrepreneurial endeavors. So it, that's one thing. The second thing is I truly believe that no matter what idea you have, there are, there's, there are at least 2,000 people in the world that are interested in the same thing that you're thinking about. And, and this, is, this is why I came up with this number is that um, one, there's over 7 billion people in the world. Okay, so I just need, you know, like, there's over 7 billion people in the world. And at least, you know, half have access to, to uh, internet. And uh, people, and even a smaller portion can make, uh, you know, purchases around uh, things that they're interested in. But I've created, like, enough random ideas in different spaces. And I've always been, like, kind of a newcomer uh, in these spaces without really any credibility. And I've, at a minimum been able to garner the interest of like 2000 people. And I don't know if this is, there's probably not a steadfast thing for this, but I just believe that with the right marketing uh, and really just the being attentive to why people uh, resonate with what you're creating, I think you can grow a following. So yeah, commitment to yourself, uh, the realization that there is a built-in market, and then also just knowing that the product itself is not the end point. So marketing, marketing is much more harder than anything you create. So you're, you're learning. That. Yeah. Marketing is so difficult and it's, it's so much easier if you're an entrepreneur, it is so easy for me to market or advocate for another person because when you are advocating for yourself, it's a little hard because people are always challenging you. People are like, oh, what makes you what makes you so confident in a world when everything tells you you should, you should not be? So that's why uh, I think when people do like a lot of collaborations and they're promoting 
people in their network and they built these like cohorts or squads of content creators, it's, it's easier because then you're now propping other people up. But that's really because it is hard to evangelize yourself. And I've, I've learned that, especially within writing, because some of the content I've created, it's really, it's so the proximity, like the booty pillow is, a, you know, one separation for me, but I've created, you know, books where it is actually about me. And uh, then people are like dissecting, who are you? Like, what makes you think you can do this? And uh, you really have to be steadfast in understanding that uh, marketing and creating your your own narrative, other people will follow suit. And uh, that's like a harder lesson, right? So take you, for example, if once you start getting, I imagine a sponsorship is the, is that the path you're going for? Like where you're trying to get uh, like brand sponsors uh, in line? Yeah. So brand sponsors and then also an e-commerce store. Okay. Awesome. So with, with you, once you get buy off from these sponsors, the people in your network take you maybe a little bit more, uh, more serious. Right. But the reality is you're not making any changes. Like you did, you're not, you're not all of a sudden a new person. You're the same person that was creating great content before you got those sponsors. And I think we are looking in general for these markers or things that really show us like, Oh, this person's already been vetted. So we don't have to like think things through. So when you understand that already, you know, like if I'm in your shoes, I'm going to say to a sponsor, Hey, can I list you as a sponsor? You don't actually have to pay me, but I recognize that people look at sponsors and say that there's value there. Uh, I'm going to advertise for you for free for three episodes. And then the next person you approach the next sponsor, you're like, Hey, I have one sponsor already on board. I'd be, I'd love if you could join us. We actually have like a bronze package or, you know, some, something where you're like, I mean, it's just, there's so much leeway and flexibility in, in how you market and promote yourself. And I, I don't think people recognize that because, you know, entrepreneurship is, uh, entrepreneurship is a bit of magic because you have to, you have to see a vision that nobody else sees. And then you have to paint that you have to reverse engineer that world for them. And I don't, th- I don't think people really get that, you know, but I think what happens to a lot of us, and this has happened to me in the past, is where we almost wait for the rest of the world to take us seriously before right. we develop stellar content or before we remain consistent with our work, right? right. So have you ever been in that position or how do you avoid, how do you stay on track? How do you stay motivated and like consistent with your work? Right. Uh, so I think, so I grew up like as an only child uh, until I was like 14. Uh, and in general, I've never really been afraid of starting uh, a movement or doing something on my own. And the, and what I'm, I guess what I'm saying is like, as a kid, I always wanted to be the leader of like Simon says, right. Um, I would be the kid who would make up games as long as I was able to be in like these leadership positions. <laughs> right. So like, <laughs> Um, in college, I started a student group where I was the only person in that group the first year. And then the, the second year, there were five of us. And then the third year, there were 30 students. So like I have, a, I have a pattern and a history that tells me that I can stand alone by myself for a while and it's going to be okay. Like I, that doesn't, and that is really hard for a lot of people. Most people do not want to look foolish. And I, I'm okay with that because I recognize that it, 
it really only takes a couple people to buy off on what you're saying or what you're doing in order for there to be like credibility. And uh, that is just like human nature. You know, there's like a great video about this, I think on YouTube, it's called like the first follower. Okay. And um, it's a guy who's dancing like crazy at, um, at an outdoor concert. And then everybody's like making fun of him. And then a second guy comes up to him and starts dancing with him. And then all of a sudden people run out of nowhere to dance with these two. Right. But it took this, it took this first follower to really buy off on this guy who was doing his own thing. And that is such a good metaphor for the way entrepreneurship works. It's such a good metaphor for anything you're doing. Uh, People need to see whether it's tangible artifacts, they need to see reviews, they need to see, um, they need to hear other people that, that they believe in. You know, there's just like, everything's about buy-off. And when you understand that, you, you become like less sensitive. You recognize that people aren't dissing you, people aren't uh, ignoring you. It's just, you're not signaling to them yet, you know? So like you need, you need buy-off from whatever the stakeholders that, that other people believe in because we're all basic and we get so much content thrown at us all the time that it's really hard for us to discern uh, what is of real value. It's, it's rare that you're going to find people that are actually thinking like critically about the content that they receive because there's just so much noise. You know? mm. If you haven't seen the first follower video, you have to YouTube it because it's so fascinating. It's exactly as Lul describes it. And It blew my mind the more times I watched it because I realized that it's much easier to stand alone in your truth when you believe in what you're creating. Um, And then marketing that ends up being a different subject, right? So for me, I really believe in what I'm creating at Depth and Candor, but marketing that is something that I'm still learning how to do. So I'm actually using Skillshare to take a marketing class in order to promote my work and share it with the rest of the world over the internet. And I've mentioned Skillshare before, but if you don't know what it is, Skillshare gives you access to thousands of online classes on a wide range of topics, and it's taught by people from all over the world. Right now, I'm taking a marketing class, but one of my really good friends is taking a nutrition class because she's considering making a career switch. And I personally love the platform, and so I recommend it to anyone that tells me they're interested in taking a class of some sort. So Go to Skillshare now and try it for free for two months using the promo code Depth and Candor Free. That's Depth and Candor Free, all one word. And it'll ask you for your credit card, which is really annoying because sometimes I forget to cancel free trials and then I get charged and I'm annoyed. But I've encouraged my friends who have tried it to just set a timer two months from the date that they create their Skillshare account so that they can reassess whether they want to start paying for a membership after two months or not. And if you try it, let me know what classes you end up taking. Okay, enough of this. Back to the episode. So what happens when you pitch the sponsor and you say, hey, say for example, I I pitch someone and I say, hey, You don't actually need to be a sponsor, but I'll advertise for you for free for three episodes. And um, I just want to be able to list you as a sponsor, et cetera, et cetera. Or for you, 
you go into retail stores and you say, we have this booty pillow, it's $29.99. This is how wide, how high, how deep it is. And they say, no. How do you bounce back when that happens to you? I can bounce back the first time, second time, third time. But how do you bounce back when that happens after the fifth store or after the sixth sponsor? Mm. Uh, that's a, that's a good question. Um, it's also, it's also really helpful that, you know, if, if what you're doing, what you're sharing is not resonating with people, it's also really valuable information too. And the more you can collect on why it doesn't resonate with them is great. Maybe they're like, Oh, you know, you don't have enough followers yet, but, uh, because we're getting solicited by these other, uh, podcasts that are, you know, getting, I don't even know what a good number is or a good metric, but you know, that are getting many more uh, hits than you. So then you're like, okay, then it's a matter of views, right? Like if you can segment why someone doesn't, you know, doesn't mess with you, then that's really the the first step in, in correction. Um, I think oftentimes people will hear a no and then they don't think that's valuable information or they're just like, Oh, they brush it off. But really there's, there's so much more content and value in why someone says no than, than a, than a yes necessarily. Because if you say yes, oftentimes you're like, okay, great. And then you don't even really explore more because you you just heard the answer you wanted. But, um, I really challenge people that have gotten rejected in any spaces to, to explore why and just figure out like, what, what is it that would turn that to a yes? Um, and maybe that's something you do independently. You don't have to necessarily ask uh, the stakeholders of why they're not um, approving you, right? So, and I can say that in in just a lot of the business development stuff I'm doing in a services company, I hear no often um, initially because they're not even really thinking about what data science can offer them yet. So it's really just a customer information. So then I have to think to myself, what is, how much time and energy is spent on educating them and what would be the trade-off? Like if I spent five hours of customer development with them and then I get, you know, uh, a long-term customer, that's worth it. If I recognize that I, if I do, you know, five hours of customer development work and they're going to want a very small project, then maybe that's not worth it. Okay. So this leads me to my next question and it's, how, what are the skills that you think are extremely important, not just for entrepreneurs, but for side hustlers or intrapreneurs? So people working at companies who really just want to be the leaders in their field. Um, mm. What skills do you suggest we develop? Um, this, is, this is good. So I think they're, they're maybe one and the same, but if you're working in a closed environment where so like you, you're going to see the same people over and over again, uh, the same stakeholders, you know, then really showing, uh, being, being a very likable person that people want to help is really important. Uh, when I worked corporate, it was, uh, and I was in the more of a management role, it was important that my team felt uh, that I cared for them and that I, um, was really listening to who, uh, what they had to say and who they are. So every day I organized a, a walk around around the facility at like three o'clock. Um, and I had daily check-ins. Like we had a, a daily stand-up at like 10 a.m. 
um, which these are probably not big deals at all. But what I found is that our group had a lot more communication going than other groups. So just imagine because, because there's a lot of discussion going back and forth, I felt like maybe my group was engaging more often without me. And if you had to compare that to other groups, maybe they had like less communication by like maybe 10, 20%. If you are an entrepreneur, what's really important is understanding who actually has the power and buy off for, for money allocation. Um, you're, you're soliciting a group of people and you're talking to somebody who's technical and they're like all about you. And then you realize that they have nothing to do with procurement. So you're like, damn, okay. And you missed out on your window or your opportunity to really solicit the, the business folks. I think it's just important to know that each organization works differently. And the quicker you can find out who, who allocates money, uh, who buys off on who allocates money uh, is going to help you with on the consulting side. Um, if you're building, if you're building product, I, if you're building a tangible product, if you're building a website, whatever you're doing, I really think proof of concept feedback is great before you build anything. Uh, like I, like with the pillow or with books, I always shared draft versions or first prototypes before I invested a lot of time and money into like final iterations or even like beta versions of, of apps that I've built. Like it's just, you can, you know, you can iterate so much more when you, when you have like a solid foundation. You know, I'm picking up these three things. The first is when you talk about likability and building solid lines of communication within like in a corporate environment as Mm -hmm. a side hustler, I can interpret that to mean, or I do interpret that to mean if I am engaging with the people that I want to listen to my podcast or the people that I want to buy my products, right. I, am, I am doing something right. If I'm soliciting feedback, if I understand them, if they understand me and they like me, I'm doing something right. Exactly. Um, the second step is knowing whether there's a market for this and whether you can actually get paid for what it is that you're trying to do. Right. Um, and the third is fail forward, right? So like test an idea, see if it works. If it doesn't pivot, if it works, keep going. If it doesn't pivot. And for the third, the the third step, like you're saying, uh, fail pivot. If you are really listening to what people want to want in the world, then by the time you actually build it, there's already going to be a demand for it. And I think, um, and I, and I think so often when I was younger, I was always trying to build something that the world really wasn't asking for. And then confused, like, what? You guys didn't want, you know, you know, some something that I've created because I thought it was I thought it was amazing. And it's because I wasn't a good listener. And now that I'm actually listening to people, I'm realizing uh, what people want. So. Mm. so maybe that's a fourth skill, a really important skill. Ask the questions, but then be willing to listen to the answers. Man, that's I'd say, man, yeah, that's huge. Being able to, and and also just being okay with changing things up, you know, being a sellout as we talked about earlier. <laughs> All right. So this is my last question for you. Um, we, oh, are, we d- are we done? Almost. You want to keep uh, going? 
I don't know. It's just, it's just sad when people, I, I, I was, you know, I, I was only a child as a kid. So like when people would try to leave, like, Oh, I'm going to go home. Like, wait, wait, I got, I, I got, I got more toys. <laughs> so this doesn't have to be the last question, but it is my last prepared question. And it's, I see a lot of entrepreneurs mm-hmm. on social media and entrepreneurship is super sexy right now. And we see these people who like market, them, who've branded themselves as really happy and carefree all the time. I will say this. People always tell me I seem like I'm always happy and I'm always like, oh man, no, I need to, like, I need to be, I need to tilt the other way a little bit more because I have moments where I'm really sad because something I tried didn't work and I'm in my feelings. And people don't really see that side because none of us want to put that on social media but I wanted you to give us the real real someone who has established themselves as an actual entrepreneur who like hunts daily for their for their income what do you struggle with and how do you work through it what's one thing that you struggle with and how do you work through it man that's a that's a great question it is um, entrepreneurship is a very solitary and lonely journey, uh, and it always has been. But you know, that's that's a price you pay because it's lonely. Because it's also there's a lot more freedom there, right? And not not everybody's gonna have the the same freedom. Um, I will say that I starting out with this business, I did really struggle to figure out whether or not we were actually offering enough value to people. Or what if what I'm doing is is of value? What am I doing with my life? You know, like you know, just like all these questions, like what am I? What am I doing? You know, and and uh, then then you start thinking about you know, because I'm I'm 34, so I think more about like, does this career path I'm going down? Does this provide me with the quality of life that I want? Am I adding value to others? Does it? Uh, is this a lifestyle? You know, like how does this career fit into the rest of my life? You know, uh, the thing I struggle with is not, is trying to not, I don't want to be as disappointed as I currently am when something doesn't go my way. Like I take, I take like a company that I'm working with and them having to cut budget. I take that like as a real offense to me. And that's not, that has not, they were not, they're not out here trying to get me, you know, nobody's trying to hurt me. It's just, you know, I'm like, wow, they, they're not, you know, they don't want to work with us as much, you know, and it's just, um, so I'm, I'm kind of emotional. Uh, then I think if, if I could be more pragmatic, that'd probably be healthier, but maybe I wouldn't be as driven. So I don't know. Right. I'm emotional about, about things that have nothing to do with me and that I need, I know intellectually I need to keep, put, keep it moving, but, uh, I get in my feelings and then I'm like, uh, how do I get out of this? So how do you get out of it when you get in your feelings? Uh, man, I don't know if I do get out of it. I just, what I know, you know, I think the the immigrant in us and me is like, okay, I'm working with a customer and they want to slow down work. And so to me, I look at that as like opportunity loss. And I think when you come from a, a an environment that there's a lot of scarcity around opportunity or resources, you, you build that up a lot more than it, than it really should be. Uh, had I been, a, you know, a kid who, came from like a very stable middle income background, I'd say, okay, well, 
on to the next one. You know, it's like, we'll get them next time. And it's just like, uh, (laughs) so I, I really struggle. I really struggle with that. And I take, I take a lot of things as an offense, but the way I actually get over it is I am, I continue to do more business development work and I continue to get more customers. Like tomorrow, Friday, I have, I have five meetings lined up and it's, um, you know, and I try not to have a lot of meetings on Friday, but it's still, it's still panned out that way because it's still way too early for me to set my own terms on like Friday. I don't work from after 12 o'clock. No, I I'm doing whatever I need to do. And then I will have a set schedule routine probably two, three years from now if I'm lucky. Right. So just recognizing that I'm not looking at this as a short term come up and I'm really trying to build something that is, is going to last and, 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 and be dope. So. Thank you so much for making time for this. Hey, it's my pleasure. You interviewed a, a, a friend of mine, uh, Jeremy from uh, Seattle. And, uh, <laughs> Lul is talking about Gurmai Zahalai, who is one of our mutual friends and one of my favorite human beings. Him and I, Gurmai and I, did a really powerful episode titled Thinking Like a Leader. And it's all about mindset behind leadership, uh, particularly, specifically, his mindset behind leadership. And if you haven't heard it already, I highly recommend that episode because I still get emails from people saying how moving his story is and how he thinks about the world and how he thinks about his purpose. So, Now, back to this episode. Did you learn as much from listening to Lul as I did? As I was editing this podcast, I was like, wow, this guy really has a lot to share and I can't wait to see where he is in like five, 10 years. He is already an incredible leader, an incredible entrepreneur, a creative, and I know he's going to make major, major waves in the next few years. As always, I'll be sharing my biggest takeaways and how I'm applying the lessons I learned in this episode in the Depth and Candor newsletter. So if you aren't already on the mailing list, get yourself on that list by going to depthandcandor.com backslash subscribe. I would also love to hear your top takeaways from this episode. And if you'd like to share them with me, please tag me in your Instagram posts. My handle is at H-I-W-O-T-E dot G. As always, if you love this episode, please rate it on iTunes so that more people can find us and join our community. Talk to you again in the next couple of weeks. Bye.